1: The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to The Reasonable Voices' talk news radio program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, and today my guest is the third guest I'm speaking to who is involved very much in Impossible Monsters, actress Devika Bizet. Devika Bizet is an actress, producer, writer, and she's known for The Accidental Husband in 2008, The Man Who Knew Infinity, 2015, one of my favorite films, and The Warrior Queen in Jansi, 2019. And, of course, for her 2019 role of Joe, In Impossible Dreams, which had its world premiere in the Cinequest Film Festival in San Jose, California, of course, on Saturday, March 9th, 2019. And now is a part of the New York Latino Film Festival, August 15th, and will be in the New Jersey International Film Festival on September 14th, all, of course, 2019. Devika attended Johns Hopkins University as a Hodson Trust Scholar and Woodrow Wilson Fellow and graduated early with honors. So, Devika, welcome to the Reasonable Voices and how are you?
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm doing well. It's such a pleasure to be on the program and thank you for that warm and very kind introduction.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all true, so it's you. <laughs> Uh, you know, in Impossible Monsters, for those who may not have seen it yet, it's an ambitious professor who becomes caught up in the murder of a participant in his sleep study as the line between dreams and reality blurs. And our guest today, Devika Bizet, is one of those sleep study participants who actually suggests the, to the professor uh, that he use her character, Joe, as the subject of his study so but nonetheless if you don't mind before we get to Nathan Cattucci's Impossible Monsters and how his film is thrilling everyone who sees it tell us a bit Devika about your experience in The Man Who Knew Infinity starring Dev Patel and Jeremy Irons. I don't ask just because it's on my top five list of favorite films but because the characters you play in The Man Who Knew Infinity, and Joe in Impossible Monsters, to me, truly show your amazing range as an actor. So what are your thoughts?
0: Well, thank you so much. Uh, the Man Who in Infinity, I was cast in in 2014, so I was just a year out of college. And interestingly enough, I got that role because of the connection I had the project, uh, when I was at Hopkins, I played a, a different part in the theatrical play version um, of this, this story about Ramanujan. Mm. So my connection with the story and, and the background is how I got introduced to Ed the Pressman, who's the producer, and Matt Brown, who uh, was the writer and director. So it really happened in a very circuitous but wonderful, happy accident of a way, and I was able to test for the role of his wife, which happened throughout many, many tests, and, and I think one of the biggest challenges that I faced in, in, that, in that process was that they were planning to cast the film straight out of India, and I think there was some pushback that I didn't seem Indian enough I didn't look Indian enough um, to play an Indian, you know on on screen, and of course, I am a hundred percent Indian. Yes, that was very much part of my argument in getting that that part. but I'm so lucky that that was a very big moment in my career, and now I can branch out into other parts that don't necessarily link me to my heritage, which I'm incredibly proud of. But I think what's amazing is being able to play characters of all different backgrounds and styles and interests and and all of those things. But I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity and I love that movie as well. It's an incredible story. It's a it's a true story yes. about Otto Didac, who went to Cambridge and completely changed the field of mathematics as mm. we know it today. Mm-hmm. So I'm incredibly grateful and, and proud that I, that I got to be part of that project and I'm thrilled that I am part of Impossible Monsters as well where I get to do something completely different. Um, yes. I think my 1910s Janaki, who is the wife of Ramanujan would probably raise her eyebrows at many of the, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the,
1: <Yes. laughs>
0: the aspects of my, my character in Impossible
1: Monsters. (laughs) Yes, yes, I think so. I think it's safe to say, without giving away anything. I wonder, as you know, when I've I've seen the movie several times, Impossible Monsters, as well as The Man Who New Infinity, but Impossible Monsters, I've seen several times uh, as part of prep, you know, to talk with the various people, the writer, director, Nathan Patucci, and performers within it. And I've always felt, even from the beginning, that it was a perfect blend of music and art and cinematic visuals, flowing uh, through uh, a dreamy—forgive the pun—psychological thriller. <laughs> I, I even—I t- I told Nathan, as a matter of fact, I felt like—I'm sure it was no surprise to him—that the music was indeed another character in the film. And I just wonder, as you are a producer, what are your thoughts about in in that sense of? Uh, the, uh, the components of Impossible Monsters?
0: I think the score is absolutely wonderful. Uh, and I think Nathan pays such close attention to detail. Uh, you know, we, we shot this movie a couple of years ago, and he's been going through it over and over again to make sure it was just right. And I think the, the score is completely part of that. But I absolutely think it's one of the strongest aspects of yes. the film uh, and really brings that intensity and, and the thriller-like suspension to, to the whole project, which is fantastic.
1: Yes. And does uh, what I think psychological thrillers, even murder mysteries, and this is, this is a bit of both, certainly. It, it's more than a movie about dreams, that's for sure. But uh, that is at its core, but that's just the vehicle. But I think, perhaps because my wife is an artist, after we see you as the first person in the film, Impossible Monsters, we see a quote from Goya, fantasy abandoned by reason produces impossible monsters. And I asked Nathan about that, and he had great response. But what, what did you get from, or were you influenced at all by that particular Goya quote? Of
0: course. I love that that quote, and actually, I'm um, an art history major in in college, so all of that really resonated with me, and and I think it inf- informed the way that I wanted to play the character, because what it really means is that when you aren't grounded at all in any or or, or tethered to reality things can get really out of hand and yes. out of control. And I think in this movie, you really start to see it escalate in that way, um, where things may seem normal, things may seem, quote, quotidian and as they are, and then all of a sudden, as you start to use your imagination and as you get caught in your dreamlike state or more more like a nightmare that's when things start to get completely out of hand and, and you lose control of reality. And I think that's really the scariest idea that you can think of. I mean, it's almost being in the middle of a acid trip or
1: something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I think also the people who try, the characters who try hardest to maintain control are the ones who succumb to this, this constant, I don't even want to say shift, because it's, it's, uh, it's much more subtle than that, this constant uh, interchange, interconnection, this flow of, how about the, the symbol for infinity, this uh, flow, swirling back and forth between a dream state and reality, the audience gets caught up in that, what do you think?
0: Yeah, absolutely, I mean, you're not supposed to know exactly what has happened, when, real and what's not. And I think that's incredibly terrifying, obviously. Yes. And as you get deeper and deeper into that rabbit hole, you stop understanding which is which. And and I think we all have dark thoughts in our minds. And as long as they stay there, that's completely fine. <laughs> but as soon as those get manifest into any kind of reality, that's when things take a very scary turn. And I think that's, that's the main premise of the, the
1: film. And, and I would like to say, uh, I think, because I've done this, I've seen the film at least six times, at least.
0: Wow, Yes. more than I have. Uh,
1: and, uh, and I want to confess that I've changed my mind a couple of times of which was real and which was a dream. And I like that. The film invites you. As a matter of fact, I think the film gives us more questions than answers. What do you think?
0: Absolutely. I think when I, because it it changed a lot from the script, you know, as Mm -hmm. Nathan was playing with it, and it it kind of evolved over time. So after I watched it the first time, I I pulled him aside, and I had a few questions for him, which is great,
1: Mm I think. Yes, yes. Um, And
0: it really invites you to watch it again, and Again and, and really delve through those questions. And, and I think from what I spoke to him about this, he's completely open about what you want it to be. And mm-hmm. it's completely in the realm of the viewer to make those choices.
1: Yes, you know, and he told me that. That was his answer, too. He he, he simply said, well, good. I'm glad I didn't completely contradict my director. Not at all. And and he said, well, that's good, Marcello. He wouldn't tell me, you know, right or wrong, which is good (laughs) that (laughs) I had that response. And I love that because it is, uh, it is um, what, self-consciousness and and consciousness and subconscious. I mean, you know, we we are just, we're on, I don't want to. Is I'm not trying to be trite, but we are in a dream sequence, and we right. come in and out of it. And I think if you just let it bathe over you, you really, you really come to a, a level of self awareness that most films don't give you. What do you think?
0: Right, and dreams are dreams are one of the only aspects of our lives that we often don't have any control over yes. at all. And to be completely delved into that state that is. Scary, just based on the fact that that you can't choose what happens in a dream unless you're very proficient at lucid yes. dreaming. But, but to be involved in that in that experience for an hour and a half um, is what makes it is what makes it so so scary. And also, dreams are something we don't know a lot about
1: as mm, well. We don't mm-hmm.
0: know why we dream. We don't know what the dreams. We have mean necessarily obviously there are there are theories and, and science and, and all of that. but um, because it's so unknown, I think that is what makes it so compelling.
1: Yeah exactly. Uh, I've uh, I'm not going to spend our time talking <laughs> uh, about my uh, my <laughs> big yes exactly. Uh, but I did have one big nightmare once and, and I and somehow in the nightmare I knew it was not true. And I woke up, and my wife indeed was not trying to kill me. So I went back to sleep. But it, it's not It's not easy to come out of a dream. Uh, I know. I'm sure most people have had dreams. When you wake up, the dream is still alive. It's still right. yeah. It's it's still going on, and you're walking around. And I think even though Nathan Cattucci's Impossible Monsters goes beyond that artistically and in every way, he does allow us to, to come to some uh, experience with that, yes?
0: Yes, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And just because it's a dream does not mean it's not real.
1: Exactly. I knew you were going to go there. I knew it. <laughs> and I'm so glad you did. Oh,
0: I'm so predictable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know because, your, well, your character Joe is not predictable. I mean, we might call her mischievous, How's that? Um, But she, I I think she is, uh, well, I'm not going to say what I think she is. People need to see the film. But I will allow you to tell us a bit more about your character, Joe, when we return. We are having a delightful conversation with one of the stars of Nathan Cattucci's Impossible Monsters. Again, it it had its world premiere uh, on Saturday, March 9th in San Jose, It is now involved in the New York Latino Film Festival, August 15th, and will also appear in the New Jersey International Film Festival on September 14th. And if we are very nice, maybe Devika will come back and talk to us after that. But stay with us. We'll be right back with Devika Bizet. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Andy Film Minute. Getting old... There comes a time when you start to realize it's too late to regain what's lost. You feel you've become too old to be relevant. The sometimes only slightly younger, the workplace, and the world in general all seem to shy away. Yet even when we acknowledge that life may never again be as it once was, or as we wanted it to be, choice remains, and there resides the potential for poignant, relevant, and deeply moving stories. I'll See You In My Dreams, starring Blythe Danner. Must we remember this wonderfully talented star of Stage and screen merely as the mother of Gwyneth Paltrow? Here, Danner plays a widow and former singer facing just such a turning point. With a little help from her friend, she makes choices again. She falls in love again with Sam Elliott, no less. She begins to end her isolation and reconnect to the life around her. This is a funny and compassionate story. A story for all of us. I'll see you in my dreams falls within the so-called silver dollar genre. Sensitive films that touch the heart of a certain generation. A generation that is still ever growing. I'll see you in my dreams. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk News Radio Program. As you know, uh, we talk a great deal about politics and history, but also The Reasonable Voices is all about the arts. And one of my, certainly my favorite art, is movie making. So today we have, as a guest, one of the stars of Nathan Katucci's Impossible Monsters, Devika Bizet. And uh, Devika and I have been talking about her and her educational background, her artistic background, and, and getting her producer point of view of Impossible Monsters. She is, after all, in addition to being an incredibly fine actress, a producer, and a writer as well, which makes this conversation uh, multi-level, let's put it that way. So, Devika, I always tell actors, you know, it's it's your life, it's what the the writer put on the page, and it's what I, as the director, think. And we kind of marry all of those through the process, but it's the baby it produces that is uh, the final uh, tell me what, what sort of your feelings if you don't mind mingling a few of your feelings with the Joe you found on the page the morning after uh, a, a night of dreams says she, which included by the way what she refers to as sleep paralysis
0: I absolutely loved playing Joe she was an incredibly interesting character and a pretty rare one to have gotten the
1: chance to play so fun yes. for
0: one but the thing I learned most about this character is that you cannot judge a book
1: by its cover mm-hmm. and
0: she's this dynamic, daring incredibly smart uh, person who I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say but <laughs> but who kind of leads a double life that, that comes with a lot of pre Meditated, you know, preconceptions um, about her line of work and her hobbies and and whatnot, and um, learning or getting under the skin of this character really made me think about what we see and what what we think about when when we meet new people and all the either stereotypes or um, just of opinions we put on people who we don't know anything about. And the wonderful thing about making movies is you get to see all these private moments of Joe's uh, that really teach you and really open your eyes to what could be under the surface of someone who you might have thought you completely figured out.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we live, you and I, in the, the land of first impressions are the best. And yet I confess I have discovered through my years in show business that my first impression is not always the correct one. And, and, and Jo certainly, uh, her expressions, her eyes, for heaven's sake, and where they go and whatever's behind them, are not always consistent with what she's saying. And yet somehow you, and I mean this, as an actress... This is an incredible challenge to to the wheels are turning. We know the wheels are turning. We think we know what the wheels are. And yet you marry that with dialogue that is persuasive. How's that? And by the way, I don't think she is living a double life. I think it's triple at least, but that's okay. Right. <laughs> but how did you do that? Because, well, I'll say what I, what I think. And you did a marvelous job of dancing around, not telling us too much. I will try to do oh, as well. Thank you. But how did you play this person who has dreams that bleed into her daydreams that then feed her let's call it imagination which leads to however she chooses to express that imagination. I'm loving the questions you inspire me. Oh.
0: Ah.
1: <laughs> um, you know, I
0: think Joe at the end, at the end of the day, she hides so much interaction mm. that she has. So different people in her life want different things out of her. And she's pretty good at giving that to them and being the person that whoever is talking to her needs her to be. And yes. in that way, she's a chameleon and, and she is an actress in her own right. Mm-hmm. She has all of these feelings and emotions and, and thoughts that many of the men she... Talks to throughout the movie don't necessarily want to hear, right? They want to see her as this two dimensional character that they can put upon whatever their ideals of her or a fantasy, to use the words that we are using in this yes. film, to put that fantasy onto her and her job throughout this movie and, and throughout her life is to be that fantasy Mm
1: -hmm. for
0: everyone else. And I think that's why she's incredibly perceptive, meaning that whoever she's talking to, she knows what they want out of her, Mm -hmm. and she's willing to find a way to make that materialize. And that's that's sort of how I played her and how, how I approached every interaction of every scene that I have, you know, what does this person want out of Joe? And how does Joe get around all of her complexities to give that person what they need?
1: Or as much of it as she chooses to give. Right. I I think she, I mean, no one ever has complete control, even if, and those that think they do, as I alluded to in the last segment, are usually the ones who lose... More than and faster and deeper than others, but I I think you're right. I mean I know you're right. Everyone, at least the men, but the women in the in the, in the cast as well, uh, cast Joe based on their needs and uh-huh. and their desires, and she picks up on that very quickly. But she responds not so much by being uh, pliable to to right. them, but But she, and yet she responds very differently to each. And I want to mention one scene in particular, uh, when you visit, when Joe visits the art exhibit, she has this tiniest simple little gesture of, uh, what do we want to say? Okay, yes, that's what I'll call it. Okay, I know what, I'm, I'm looking at your work. I'm looking at you. I know how and why you're looking at me. And this tiny little simple gesture And I wonder if you, if you, if you know what I'm talking about. Or, she puts her head, very gently, on his shoulder. Yes. And I thought, wow, it was like the whole scene. I mean, the whole scene is beautiful. I mean, visually and in every way. But that choice solidified what in my mind, what she's capable of, what she's about. What? What? Am I? Am I too far off?
0: up on that and and i think again she's complex she is dominant she is kind as well she's smart she, she and, and and i want to change my earlier answer a little bit to add on that she knows what to give people what they want comma mm-hmm. in order for her to get what she wants Thank generally you. she wants something out of any reaction she has. Yes. Um, And she does whatever needs to be done by having incredibly high EQ in order to get to her end goal. However, she has particularly a great amount of hubris, which Mm -hmm. also hurts her cause a little bit, I think, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, is why she gets into a bit of a mess throughout (laughs) throughout the, the film. And
1: I think that would be her, Achilles' heel. Um, yes, yes. Not changing the subject, I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm glad that you added that after the comma. Because uh, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm remembering, and I'm not giving away, I am going to give away something, but I don't think it uh, hurts the, the people coming to see the movie. When I was much younger, somebody told me that I should keep a notebook by my bedstand and that even during the night if I were to awake right when that dream was fresh just lean over and I had a pen there and I would write something that would remind me of the dream because we often forget dreams and even as difficult as my middle of the night writing uh, would be in the morning I could get enough out of it and then uh, examine the dream in in, in light of my the rest of my day, the rest of my week, my relationships, etc. In the movie, Joe, as well as the others in the group who are, who are having their dreams uh, e- examined through their lives and their feelings and relationships, uh, Joe, what do you think Joe would have written in the notebook that she was given?
0: Regarding her dreams.
1: Regarding her dreams. Well, play out in the film yes. that that I don't want to give away. Exactly. exactly. Um, one opens
0: the film to my recollection. Mm-hmm. But I think she has trouble confronting her own fears mm-hmm. and because of that it would be difficult. I don't think she would be completely honest with herself and with the re- reality of her, her dreams and these the verity of her, her dreams as well, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we all have fears, but I think Joe's strength comes from completely putting those in, in a box and completely putting them to the side, which is why she's so complex, and it's why she has her flaws, definitely. Yes. But I think she would have trouble coming to terms with her weakness,
1: You know, I I hope this will surprise you a little, but I know you can handle it. Something that I felt, particularly watching the film the last two times, because I know I was going to talk to you, Mm -hmm. sometimes making good choices can be bad decisions. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Okay, good. And I say good because that was my reaction to much of what you do as Joe in the film and that you said yes I'm not patting myself on the back any more than I'm patting you on the back because you definitely give that to us, the audience sitting out there in the dark watching, you know. So, okay, good. Well, thank you. (laughs) I I have a question for you. Here's one. What is a sexual pain exploration specialist?
0: Oh, a sexual pain exploration specialist. Yeah. Um, Well, in colloquial terms for what Joe was doing, one could refer to her as a professional dominatrix um, and with regards to what she did, it was helping clients explore sexual pain or pain in the realm of a sexual experience um, and incorporating that into their the sexual experience.
1: <laughs> um,
0: and and helping, helping clients explore what their desires are in a safe way
1: or yes. in a
0: professional
1: way. That's right. I would even say uh, in her way she was a sexual uh, therapist. Um, yes. And certainly believed, and here's another uh, one that will be familiar to you, intelligence and sexual enjoyment are not mutually exclusive.
0: I remember that yes. line, and I think, in, it's incredibly relevant now as well with all of the conversations we're having about women's rights and not stereotyping women, and and you know even with the elections, and I don't want to really get into that right mm-hmm. now, but but the ability for politicians who are women to face such scrutiny due to their personal lives that men just. Don't have to deal with yes, that's um, and that's true not only in politics but in the workplace and everywhere else. And I think portraying these characters that can have different aspects of them that are not necessarily considered, you know, quote unquote, correct or right or or within what's okay uh, in the in the. Population, or, or, or in how people behave um, in like the middle of the road category. Um, and I think showing these characters and bringing the humanity to them might help all of us be more open to everyone, but women in particular being, you know, having different qualities that, that we might not have seen or experienced prior.
1: And I think all that to say that it, it comes down to what, what Joe epitomizes, and that is, don't judge me by the way I look or by your desire for me, what you desire me to be. Allow me to be who I am, and then you get, you have the privilege to accept or, or ignore or walk away from or embrace. you know. And I think what you're saying is so true because it's not only women in politics, it's women in film, uh, both mm-hmm. in front of and, and behind the camera. It's, it's women in our society throughout. There's still so many prejudices. But anyway, as, as with you, I don't want to go too far away from uh, <laughs> <laughs> Impossible Monsters. Any last thoughts you want to share with, with us, Devika, about your career, yourself, and particularly in, in your role as Joe in Impossible Monsters? What, what do you want to leave us with? What do you want us to look for when we see the film?
0: Oh, well, I just adored playing this uh, character. I think it's a really interesting movie, and it's not one that you'll have seen a- anything like it, I that, think. That's
1: true, very true. <laughs> the
0: um, recent past. And I just think Joe was such a pleasure to play because of this complexity and, and of the fact that characters like her are pretty rare in scripts these days, and so I'm very grateful for Nathan to have given me the opportunity to play this interesting role and hopefully bring light to people who are a little bit different than, you know, we hear about and read about um, and give them humanity as
1: well. Yes. All right. We have had the distinct pleasure today of talking with Devika Bizet, one of the stars of Nathan Cattucci's Impossible Monsters. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I want to remind everyone that Impossible Monsters will be a part of the HBO New York Latino Film Festival on Thursday, August fifteenth, 2019. For more information, contact fat.net. That's F-A-T-D as in dot O-T as in Tom. .net. Devika Bizet, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so very much for being on the show. We hope we have the opportunity to talk to you again, and we wish you and everyone associated with Impossible Monsters all the very best. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's
0: been my absolute pleasure.
1: Looking forward to seeing you and all the fabulous cast and crew and everybody's invited to see Nathan Catucci's Impossible Monsters screening at the HBO New York Latino Film Festival on Thursday, August 15th, 2019, at 1030 PM Eastern Time. And tickets, of course, are available. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Andy Film Minute. When we first saw the best exotic Marigold Hotel, we were surrounded by a sea of blue hair. Not punk dye job blue, but the natural old age gray kind. And boy, did they love this story. Seven elderly Brits succumb to promotions of affordable luxury retirement living in India. Predictably upon arrival, their accommodations offer less than the luxury depicted, setting the stage for a rich tableau of reaction, story, and experience. This film features prime British acting royalty. Dame Judi Dench, Dame Maggie Smith, Bill Nighy, and Tom Wilkinson to name a few. Not everyone may recognize these names, but suffice it to say that their mastery in the art of character would make utterly fascinating their reading of a dictionary. And they have been given a wonderfully sensitive and comedic story to complement their considerable talents. Sure. The storyline of aging, hope, disappointment, staying positive, and facing death turns out older viewers. So, not about the young? Of course it is. Time marches forward, and all can thoroughly enjoy contemplation of what is current for some, and future for the rest. Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Knowing where we are and who are the real Halloween monsters, knowing why we're addicted to horror movies, hung up on how others enjoy sex, defining each other by our bank accounts, and loving, easily accessible guns, our 2018 October surprise wasn't. Bombs sent to those with whom we disagree, bonus smirks from bankers possessing stay out of jail cards. Ten years after Bush Cheney's corporatism co-created a great recession for 95% of Americans and Pittsburgh gun violence reminiscent of Charleston, reaffirming our need for self-reflection and more love thy neighbor as thyself action those now seemingly possessed by a heightened more easily radicalized sense of powerlessness empowered by residue of foreign hacked election stealing aided and abetted by social media platforms as bottom line focused as international financial institutions masquerading as american are now addicted anew by the highest ranking self-proclaimed nationalist in america so no tom Bussett, you are wrong Gun violence is not a political issue, but a life-threatening one. And if we can't purge ourselves of open carry, cleanse our politics of trumped idolaters, and purify America of the dirty money masking demons as heroes, then we must at least become champions of electing to diminish the rising anti-American fear of Jewish Americans, anti-diversity hate of African Americans, and anti-cultural differences still branding Native, Asian, and Latino Americans with the hypocrisy of anti-female Republicans. The Trump family didn't originate avarice any more than their clan leader originated what he needs Americans to become to impregnate America with his evil. Until we internalize it's not banks, but bankers protecting unempathetic boards, not just the self-deluded propelling tragedy with Second Amendment misinterpretations, interrupting life with murderous gun violence, and intimidating bombs and it's not just donald trump who is responsible all are accountable not just marionettes droning nonsensical conservative talking points about we need safe borders with little concern for those living within our borders enduring limited means and let's not emulate mike pence taking the fifth on the sidelines not become supreme clones of self-righteous supremacists, nor congressional Republicans thinking themselves gods, controlling an administration of cuspidors, spitting back onto the innocent the vile rhetoric of fear and hate-mongers. Whether uncompromising left or radicalized alt-right, both have elevated Donald Trump, the former as a demagogue we can beat like a misogynistic pinata filled with party bigotry and the latter a johnny-come-lately ku klux klan second coming profiting off americans on both sides of centered civil debate Twitter Trump, despite teleprompter performances, is not remotely worthy of being hailed as the American dream come true, for he cares no more for those who elected him than he does for his fantasized caravan adaptation. Every earthly hue has long believed in an America peopled by a saving grace that refugees, migrants, and immigrants have sought since the Pilgrims invaded the home of Native Americans. It's about time to admit where we are and that we, the people, got us here. While there is little doubt that those among us who are, whether willfully or helplessly, more susceptible to a throwback to Europe's 1930s despot rallies, our real Halloween monsters are pawn manipulators, costuming inhumane themes to justify righteousness as ordained exclusively for Caucasians. Like Mitch McConnell's Kroger constituent proclaiming, whites don't kill whites, unless it seems they are Jewish. The deadliest attack on Jewish Americans in the history of a united America aligned in globalism 73 years ago to defeat the fear-fueled hate that still, in 2018, emboldens violent racists, self-aggrandizing bankers, and villainous politicians. On Tuesday, 6 November 2018, we can choose to elect the America we insist we are, a melting-pot magnet simmering with justice for all, perhaps embracing more Emma Lazarus than Rahim Salam. Beware, however, our midterm results may ignite more violence. How we respond to it will determine where America is and from where our monsters have come. On 12 September 2001, I drove to Gettysburg, not knowing why I was drawn to do so. Since Donald Trump's escalated dissension to ascend to the presidency, I've realized the purpose of my journey. At arguably the greatest violent expression of American division, there was cathartic motivation for unity and justice for all. Listen, God knows where we are and who Trump is. It's time for America to embrace this wisdom, knowing it must begin with the reasonable and forgiving among us exposing the money, funding, fear, and hate into domestic terrorism. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.